Welcome to the New Life Podcast. We are a church in Masson, Ohio, and our goal is to let everyone know that God can give them new life. So whether you are local to our area or you are just tuning in for some encouragement today, I pray that this episode will bless and propel you forward to live that life that God has called you to live. to adult Sunday school class. Amen. It's good to be back in the house of the Lord. It's good to be back. Amen. I, uh, it is uh, called upon me to teach this morning, which I love to teach, so I'm thankful for another opportunity to do that. Um, I love to get into God's Word and I love explaining things to people. Sometimes I over-explain. But um, anyway, but I am thankful uh, to be able to talk to you for a little while this morning. And to, this morning we're going to talk about um, contentment. Contentment. If you'd like to stand, you can. You don't have to. Uh, I mean, we a lot of times do. We're going to read the scripture, Philippians chapter 4. Uh, verses 11 through 12. <clears throat> Excuse me. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry both to abound and to suffer need. Thank you. You can be seated. That was Paul talking there. We get a lot from Brother, from brother Paul. Amen. He really is largely you know, respons responsible for a huge part of the, of the New Testament. And so we quote a lot of Brother Paul. We quote a lot about a lot of what he says. But contentment. You know, I think that um, in today's world, more than ever, I think that it's really critical for Christians, for God's people, to show contentment, to show the world that, that we're okay and that we're not, uh, we're, we're not walking around in a frenzy uh, or in a panic or all worried about today's, um, you know, condition and, and the condition of the world. I think that it's really important for God's people to be calm and to be um, content with where, with where the world is at, and maybe not content with where the world is at, but content with ourselves, content in our walk with God. Amen? And, but sometimes contentment can be a little bit um, elusive uh, because we are human. And Paul, the apostle, he wrote, he said, I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance or whatever circumstances I am in, whatever circumstances. How could he make such a bold statement? Because he knew that contentment lies not in what he has, but in whose he is. Paul knew that he, he knew whose he was. 
and this is really important for us to remember today as well. One definition of contentment, I heard a, a minister's wife say this, that contentment is a state of mind in which one's desires are confined to his or her lot, whatever it may be. My lot in life is not to be somebody else. My lot is Kim Blaylock. And your lot is who you are. It's not, uh, you know, Vesta Mangan or, um, you know, Tom Cruise or Donald Trump or, I, you know, just come up with any name you want to. And someone you may envy or someone that you may admire. But your lot is in life is who you are. You may not have inherited a bunch of money. And so your lot in life is not to be an heiress or an heir or to have, um, you know, gobs of money. Or your lot in life may be that, you know, certain um, different illnesses run in your, in your family. And I have some that run in my family. I, I just was, you know, um, diagnosed here recently with a little bit of high cholesterol. And I'm not happy about it. And I, I tried to, you know, kind of adjust my diet to help me with that so that I wouldn't have to take medication. And finally, the doctor, after a couple of years of trying to avoid medication for cholesterol, he said, you have a family history of cholesterol. So you just need to accept the fact that you, you need to take medicine so that you don't have a heart attack at a young age, possibly, or you know, other things. So my lot in life, being content with the lot, what, what I've been dealt with, um, I, you know, there's just certain things about ourselves, whether it's physical or um, in our bodies or different things that, you know, it's, it's just part of who we are, and, and that's okay. But to just, you know, ignore it or run around, you know, no, I'm not taking cholesterol medication because I don't want to be on medication. We'll see how that works out for you in a few more years and your blood's all thick with fat and other stuff. I don't know. Um, anyway, so we're talking about, you know, uh, about contentment. And, and it's a state of mind in which one's desires are confined to his or her lot, whatever that may be. When I come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, I understand whose I am and what I have. A lack of contentment causes me to look horizontally instead of vertically. It causes me to look horizontally at what others have so that I am never satisfied. Contentment invites me to look vertically at God. Amen. When I um, look in his direction, Regardless of my possessions or lack of status or lack of, I know that he is enough. He is enough. Um, a man, I was reading a story. He went to a minister to, to get counseling, and he was in the midst of financial collapse. And he's, he's, he's you know, he's just forlorn. And, and he's like, I've lost everything. I've lost it all. And, and the minister says, oh, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that you've lost your faith. And the man says, no, I, 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 you know, he corrected him and said, I haven't lost my faith. And the minister says, well, then I'm sad to hear that you've lost your character. 
And he says, I didn't say that. I, I, I still have my character. And then the minister says, well, I'm sorry to hear that you've lost your salvation then. And the man says, that's not what I said. I, I haven't lost my salvation. And the minister says, so you have your faith, you have your character, you have your salvation. It seems to me that you've lost none of the things that really matter. And we haven't either. Hopefully, nobody in this, in this room has lost any of those three things. Um, you and I could pray, perhaps like uh, a, a Puritan um, prayed. You've probably heard this before. He sat down to a meal of bread and water, and he bowed his head and declared, all this and Jesus too. Just bread and water, nothing fancy. But he had that, and he had Jesus, and that was wonderful. Um, contentment is the secret of inward peace. It remembers the stark truth that what we brought, that we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. Life, in fact, is a pilgrimage from one moment of nakedness to another. So we should travel light and live simply. Our enemy is not possessions, but it's excess. Our battle cry is not nothing but enough. We've got enough. Simplicity says if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. That was a whole big long quote by John Stott. For the Christian, contentment knows that if we have Jesus, we do have enough. We do have enough. How can I, how can I be content though? You, everybody has their own story to tell in this room, and we've all got uh, different things going on in our life, and we all have different things that we may be suffering with right now or that we've suffered in the past or that we possibly may suffer in the future. How can I be content? Contentment comes when we can honestly say with the Apostle Paul, I know both how to have a little and I know how to have a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. I am able to do all things. That's the next verse. You recognize this one? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Contentment is learned. It's not a gift of the Spirit. It's not a, a talent. Contentment is learned, and we can all learn to be content in whatever state we are in, in whatever lot that we've been dealt in life. Um, at the age of 32, a young man named Doug McKnight was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. Over the next 16 years, it would cost him his career, his mobility, and eventually his life. Because of MS, he couldn't feed himself or walk. He battled depression and fear, but through it all, Doug never lost his sense of gratitude. Evidence of this was seen in his prayer list. Friends in his congregation asked him to compile a list of requests so that they could intercede for him. His response included 18 blessings for which 
to be grateful and six concerns for which to be prayerful. His blessings outweighed his needs by three times. Doug McKnight had learned to be content. And so had, there's a, a missionary that went to um, Tobago, the island of Tobago. It was a, sh a short-term missionary, on, and she was on a mission trip there. And on the final day, um, leading worship in a leper colony, turned and asked, for, uh, asked one of the lepers for a favorite song. And when he turned, well, when, when, when she turned to look, a woman turned around and um, she saw the most disfigured face that she had ever seen. No ears, no nose, and her lips were gone. But her song request was, with her fingerless hand, she said, can we sing Count Your Many Blessings? And the missionary started to sing the song, but couldn't finish the song. Too emotional. And someone later commented, I suppose you'll never be able to sing that song again. And, and she answered, no, I'll sing it again, but just never the same way. Perspective. Perspective is a big thing. Such contentment is learned. It isn't natural. We're not born with it. Like I said just a moment ago, it's not a gift that we're given, but it is something that we can learn and we can practice. Our tendency is to look for things that will make us content. That's our human tendency. Those things that are, um, you know, those things that are better or those, um, the events that are coming next or rather than putting forth the effort it takes to learn how to be content, we're looking for the next um, exciting thing in our life or you know, whatever. And um, I have a, you know, a small example. Um, a few years ago, I wasn't really looking uh, to, to buy a new home or anything. This was, you know, before the pandemic had started, before the big uh, housing boom and all this stuff. Anyway, but, you know, I just, you know, if you ladies, maybe you do this too, you know, you kind of look around at your house after a while and you're like, everything is just really starting to get run down in this place. <laughs> I mean, the, I've had this carpet for, I don't even know, 20 years now. And, you know, it's just, it's just old. And I, I don't have a walk-in closet. I've always wanted a walk-in closet. And um, I, I, you know, there's just other things about this home. I'm just, I'm just, I just, I've decided I'm not happy here anymore. I, I want, you know, to find another place something and and we can afford it now I can afford a nicer house so anyway so um, all of a sudden uh, this uh, all of these different things that I that I admired about a home um, nice big master suite and and it had um, a huge walk-in closet and and it had tons of light this is one of my other complaints with with my home is, is there's so many trees and it's dark and all of this and I'm just you know, I, I want I want lots of sunlight in my house to pour in my windows, and and um, I had all these you know things that I just wanted in a house. And lo and behold, this this perfect house that um, was it, it came up for for it, I found it somehow. I don't I, maybe I drove by it. I don't even know exactly how it happened. And I looked it up, and it was 
um, had been on the market for a while, and so I was going to be able to get it for for really, really good price. Um, uh, so that really helped me in trying to convince my husband to buy it because it was a really, really good price. And so um, we took a look at it and, and went inside, and I fell in love. I love this house. I mean, huge window in the foyer that, you know, was real high up and tons of light pouring into the house. And, um, you know, it had a had a big bar in the kitchen, you know, so it would be so great for hosting people when they come to my house. And, and um, it had a big walk-in closet and it had a it, it, it had a it had a jacuzzi tub in the bedroom. I mean, it it was it was wonderful. I I just I, I I just fell in love. There were flaws. Yes, there were a few flaws. I mean, the cabinets for some reason the guy who painted them didn't do a very good job and they were sticky. But I, I was I could figure that out. I could I could fix that. And um, I was so excited. And we we put an offer on the house and and they accepted our offer. But it was but they did have a condition that we will, because we hadn't even put our house on the market yet, you, you know. And so we, we had a condition, they had a condition that, you know, you will, yes, we'll accept your offer, but if we get another offer, we can accept that, and you have to, we'll only give you 48 hours notice, and you, you know, if you, if you want to do something else, you've only got 48 hours to keep the house, or we'll, we, we can sell it to somebody else. Well, in the end, um, the real estate agent uh, did not come through for us and did not let us know that uh, somebody else did put an offer on the house until just a few hours before, um, before our 48 hours was up. And so my husband calls me and says, we lost that house. Somebody else put an offer in, and he said, we've only got a couple hours to come up with another deal and get the money from the bank, and we haven't even sold our house yet, and so it's, you know, we've lost it. I'm like, <gasps> so we're scrambling. I'm like, no, no, this, this is my dream house. This is my dream. It, it, like, we, we have to, and, 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 and so we scrambled, and, and, and lo and behold, it just like in the final hour, we got an acceptance back from a bank but it, we were literally minutes too late, <laughs> and we lost that house. I was devastated that I lost that house, and I didn't want my old house anymore. I had become discontent with that old house, and I wanted this, this newer home, and it, it was everything that I, you know, that I just wanted, and so there was a whole rigmarole that happened beyond that. Then we you know, we, we tried to find something else, and we sold, we did sell our house, and it was a, just a big mess, and the end of the story is, guess what? I'm still living in my house that I had become discontent with, and you know what? I'm okay with it. We've done some remodeling to it, and, um, and it's okay. Yes, my home, you know, was built in the 60s, and, you know, it's got lots of cracks in it, and there's, it's not a perfect home, and whatever, but I have decided I'm content with that home. Now I've only got just a few years left to pay on it, and we'll own it, so that's a big plus, and, you know, I'm thinking of all the positive things, <laughs> and, you know, because we've lived there a long time, and so it's kind of a, a benign example, but, you know, we can, we can wrap ourselves up in being happy and being content in some possession 
or something that we can gain. I, if I can gain this, this really um, cool car, I, I know that I'm going to be happy from that. If, if I can gain um, a spouse, I know that then I'll be happy and I'll be content. If I can just, you know, have um, a little girl instead of having eight boys, I, I know I'll be happy if I can just have me a girl. Or you, you, can, you can fill in the blank anywhere in there. But the truth of the matter is, you, it may not be your lot in life to get those things. It just wasn't in my lot to get that house that I, that I thought I so desperately wanted. I, I testified about it in prayer meeting and told the ladies how God gave me that house. And then I lost that house. It, it, just, it just didn't seem possible. But, you know, the truth of the matter is, really God wasn't in it. I, I was in it. I, I, there was, it was something that I decided I wanted. And the same goes for you too. We, we decide on things that we want. And then if we don't get it, then, you know, our life is just not complete and we're, we're just not happy. And we can't just wish things into existence. Contentment is no different. It too must be learned. So I'm going to ask you a question today. What is the one thing if there is one thing that is separating you from joy. How do you fill in the blank? I will be happy when, fill it in, when I'm healed, maybe. When I am promoted. When I am married. When I am single. When I am rich. How would you finish that statement? And now with your answer in mind, if, if you've got one, maybe it's multiple things. I'm not sure. But with your answer in mind, now answer this. If, if that never happens to you, if you'd never get those things, if your dream never comes true, if the situation never changes, could you still be happy? Could you? If not, then you know that you are living in the clause of discontentment. Where does contentment reside? Where does it reside? Contentment resides in, or contentment is of the heart, number one. Contentment is of the heart. Contentment isn't denying one's feelings about wanting and desiring what they can't have, but instead it exhibits a freedom from being controlled by those feelings. There's a difference. Contentment isn't pretending things are right when they're not, but instead, it displays the peace that comes from knowing that God is bigger than any problems and that he works them all out for my good. Contentment isn't a feeling of well-being contingent on keeping circumstances under control, but instead it promotes a joy in spite of our circumstances. Looking to God who never varies. God never varies. Contentment is not based on external circumstances, but rather on internal, on an internal source. Contentment is of the heart. Peace is not an emotion. It's being at one with God. That's peace. It's not an emotion. It's being at one with God. The majority of people in, in, um, in our society, and I'm convinced, and, and even in churches, uh, you know, even, even here, are like thermometers sometimes. 
and they suffer from pseudo happiness. And this is so sad when I see this, and I, and I do see it, I promise you. They suffer from pseudo happiness, a counterfeit high that quickly evaporates. They hope that the next superficial satisfaction will last, but external happiness is like cotton candy. It's sweet for a little bit, it's sweet for a moment, and it dissolves just a little bit later. It doesn't last. A person who is happy because he's vacationing in Maui or has a cruise coming up is a person who has only a few days to be happy, and then the cruise is over, and the trip to Maui is over with. So, but a person who has learned to cultivate a deep down contentment will be consistently a consistently joyful person wherever they are, even back home, sitting at their desk in their job, or standing at the kitchen sink doing their dishes, dreaming about a trip to Maui, right? Being joyful wherever you are. Most people thirst for what the apostle Paul had. Enduring contentment, a deep down, soul-satisfying contentment. That kind of contentment can only come from within. Contentment is always an inside job. It has everything to do with what is going on inside of you and not what is going on outside of you. It has only one source. That source is found in a soul-satisfying relationship with our Heavenly Father that cares for us and promises to meet us where we are. That's a promise. Amen. And number two, so con contentment is, is, is from the heart. Contentment is of the will. Contentment is a matter of accepting God's hand, what he sends, because we know that he is a good God. He's good. He is good. Amen. And all the time, God is good. Yes. And he wants to give he wants to give good gifts to his children. We accept, therefore, from God's hand that which he gives. Amen. You know, I've said, I've said this before. This several years ago, I, 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 I did a message on Mother's Day about blessing. And we sometimes, we, us humans, we, we confuse blessings. We think that, you know, blessing, you know, we'll, we'll post a picture of... Um, you know, um, uh, our, our new house or, or our new car or whatever, and, you know, and say, I'm so blessed, you know, or we, we have a picture with, you know, our husband or all of our kids, and we say, I'm so blessed. The Lord has blessed me. The Lord has blessed, you know, we use that term so loosely that the Lord has, the Lord has blessed us. And really, your child may not be a blessing. Let me explain. They may not be a blessing. That spouse may not be a blessing. That new house may not be a blessing. That new job may not be a blessing. And let me tell you how it's not a blessing. Those things may not be a blessing if they pull you away from God. They're no longer a blessing. A blessing could be, could be cancer. A blessing could be suffering. A blessing, you know why it could be? Because if it brings you closer to God, now you've got a blessing. 
Now you've got a blessing. But if it's something that pulls you away from him, well, that you, and you call it a blessing, that's not a blessing. How could, how could that possibly be one? So we've, we've got to be really careful what we consider blessings. If it's taking, if, if, you know, just because it's, you know, new and wonderful to us and, and we love it. Well, if it's pulling us from the house of God and it's pulling us away from him, it's, we, we just can't call it a blessing. So um, all that is needful, he will supply. Amen. All that is needful, he will supply. Even pain and suffering that seemingly cannot be corrected, he can redeem. And he can use that for our good or for the good, which is actually what the scripture says, the good to them that are in Christ Jesus. It might be good. Your suffering might be good. Maybe it don't feel good to you, but it might be good for the good of somebody else. Amen. We always want to look at, we always want to apply it to ourselves. Sometimes we really read scripture. We might find that we've misinterpreted it. Amen. If we fail to surrender, we will forever be discontent. Our freedom will be suffocated. We will be in bondage to our desires. Our relationships will be poisoned with jealousy and competition. Potential blessings will be sacrificed. Discontentment has the potential to destroy our peace, rob us of joy, make us miserable, and tarnish our witness. Probably the worst thing of all. We dishonor God if we proclaim a Savior who satisfies and then live in discontent. That's why I opened up this lesson this morning with that statement that God's people, of all the people on the earth, um, we need to show forth, show contentment. Amen? We, we've got to show that, you know, that everything is going to be okay. Even if the world collapses at our feet, it's going to be okay. Amen. Peace, peace and contentment is a reward for losing myself in God. Amen. Peace and contentment is a reward for losing myself in God. So what is the secret of contentment? Those things that we expect to bring contentment surprisingly a lot of times do not matter of fact they mostly do not because like we just learned it's it comes from inside it comes through relationship with him it doesn't come through things that i have or that have been taken from me amen um, we cannot depend upon contentment to fall into our laps from education from money or status because contentment arises from a divine source that money and material possessions cannot purchase. The secret of contentment is hidden from the casual observer, really. Number one, if we're talking about how do you, how do you get contentment? What is the key to contentment? Number one, remember the cross. Remember the cross. Philippians 1 and 21, for me, living is Christ, 
and dying is gain. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Remember the cross. The cornerstone of contentment is the cross. Remember that Jesus or what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Because of the cross, we are freed from the chains of sin. I said that very casually, but wow. <laughs> because of the cross, I've been freed from the chains of sin. Amen. Because of the cross, my salvation is secure. Hallelujah. Because of the cross, our friendship with God is possible. Amen. Because of the cross, our future in heaven is guaranteed. Can that be enough for you? I hope that that is enough right there. Right there. The cross is enough. Amen. What else really matters? The really big things are taken care of. Amen. So remember about that the cross is the cornerstone. Amen. Unrepented sin will rob you of contentment. It should rob you of contentment. If you're able to sin and you're still, ah, la -da, everything's great, my life is great, yeah, everything's going great, uh, that's really bad because unrepented sin should cause you to be completely not at peace with yourself, completely discontent with everything. Amen. Amen. So, you know, by all means, if you want to have contentment and you can examine yourself and there's anything in you that you know does not please God, confess it to him. Turn from it and make it right. Amen. You'll be able to sleep at night with peace and contentment. Even if so many other things are not right. And, and relationships and, and all that, even if so many other things might be wrong. If you've got this right, if this is okay, then peace and contentment can reside in you. Amen. In the same hand, you know, don't ignore God or avoid God when you're suffering. We, we don't want to ignore him or avoid him when, when we've sinned, but sometimes things happen to us and and we're suffering, and boy, we can, we can, like, why? Why me? Why am I suffering with this? I've, I've done dot to dot to dot. I have, I have, you know, I have, I, I just have lived for God all my life, and, and I pay my tithes faithfully, and I come to church faithfully, and, you know, so, so why? And we, we were at a, um, a wonderful little, uh, conference this past weekend. Um, I was asked to do music there, and, Karen, McKenzie, and Nicole came with me, and thank you so much for coming with me, ladies. They were such a, they were a blessing to me because they did bring me closer to God, so I can call them a blessing. <laughs> but while we were there, um, Annette Curtin was, um, Sister Annette Curtin was, was one of the speakers, and she sp spoke almost exactly what I, what I just said. Her, 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 her daughter was in a terrible accident right in front of the church, her 18-year-old her daughter, on her way to IBC that fall. And she was lying in her hospital bed, this, her 18-year-old daughter lying in the hospital bed after a horrific accident. And, and Sister Annette testified. She said, I just, I just knew she was going to be okay. I knew she was. I, I, I had no doubt that she was going to be okay because I was faithful. I was a faithful woman of God. I, you know, I, I, uh, I, 
I trusted God. I knew that he could heal. And I had, I was, I was, you know, doing Bible studies. And I, I was living right. I was just living right. So I just knew she was going to be okay. And, and three days later, she wasn't okay. Her 18-year-old daughter died from that accident. And, but you wouldn't know it when you see Sister Curtin today. Now it's been, we're many years later. And, but she still was able, even from that, she found, um, you know, that her, you know, good things or bad things happen to good people. Terrible things do happen to good people, to Christians. Sometimes God does not answer our prayers the way that we want God to answer our prayers. Sometimes we want healing from things. Sometimes we want, you know, things to change. And, and we pray and we beg God. And sometimes the answer is no. And so we've got to trust that God knows what is best. He knew what was best for Sister, um, for Sister Becky when Sister Becky was not healed uh, in the end. Were there healings along the way and miracles that took place? Yes, there were. But in the end, Sister Becky still passed away. But do I believe, I absolutely believe that God knows what was best for Becky. He knew she was ready to go, and he took her while she was ready to go. And what, what better thing can happen to a person that they are, you know, ready to go whenever they're taken from this life, whether it's by rapture or by death on this earth. If we are, if we are ready to meet our maker, then... We can't complain. We just can't complain. Amen. God knows. Amen. God knows. So, but so we, we've got to trust God even in, um, you know, in suffering, in times of suffering. And you will find that when you can go to God in your times of suffering, that you're going to know him in a way that you did not know him prior to that suffering. That's the truth. Oh, that I might know him in the fellowship of his suffering. Amen. Christ suffered. Amen. He suffered. And we will suffer too. But we can make it. Amen. He made it, and he, he's, he's going to help us make it. We're gonna, it's going to be okay. One way or another, it's going to be okay. Amen. So number two, let go of the past. Let go of the past. Brothers, Philippians, this is Philippians chapter 3 and 13. Brothers, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead. We cannot hope to ever gain contentment while holding on to past failures and mistakes, whether it's other people's or our own. Amen. There's a difference between ignoring past wrongs and forgetting them. Forgetting means that we work through the process of forgiving others and allowing God's forgiveness to cover us. You know, we've got to let go of statements that begin with, I should have. If only. Oh. If only, if only, and we're 20 years later. If only I just would have never, da-ba-da-ba-da-ba-da. You've got to let it go. Or if they just wouldn't have fill in the blank. 
my life would be so much different today if such and such would have never happened. If I just would have never done such and such, my life would be so much different today. Discontentment. Discontentment. That is it's a terrible way to live. Let go of those kind of statements. Catch yourself if you're making those kind of statements and correct yourself. No, that's my past. That's the past. What they did is the past. What I did is in the past, and I've got to leave it there. Amen. If I've already taken it to the throne, amen, I've got to leave it there. Forgiveness requires that we see the wrongs clearly because there are wrongs that happen in life, and we've got to see them, we've got to articulate them, and we've got to release them to God, and then we've got to walk away from them. Oh, you learn a lot and celebrate recovery. Amen. Some, some of this stuff comes from that. This process may take some time and some assistance, but without some assistance, but without it, we will never have a contented heart. Amen. Number three, live one day at a time. Amen. Philippians 4 and 19, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Here, we wait on God. Amen? Sometimes we just need to wait on God. We need to surrender our timetable and our future to him. Discontentment is due to a wrong focus. If we focus on things and others, we will be discontent, period. If you focus on other people and if you focus on things, you will be discontent. If you find yourself discontent, look at your focus. Amen. But if we focus on God, living each day in the light of his glory, the things of this earth will pale in comparison. It's not just a song. It's a true statement. Turn your eyes on him, and the things of this world will grow strangely dim. They really do. Assured death to contentment is constantly desiring what other people have. As you're living one day at a time, refuse to focus only on yourself. Oh, another killer of contentment, just focusing on yourself all the time. Everything that's wrong in my life, everything that's going on in my world, in my home, and you're just so focused on yourself. Look around. Amen. Find others who are in need or who are suffering. Give of yourself. It's a key to contentment. Amen. To give of yourself. Whatever God tells you to do, do it. If God is speaking to you about doing something, don't avoid that. Don't disobey that voice. Because if you do, you're going to be discontent. Amen. You will be. Follow his instructions. Force yourself out of yourself. And think about other people. Amen. Number four, find sufficiency in Jesus Christ. I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Philippians chapter 4 and 13. The term, that term content kind of su suggests self-sufficiency. But in the context of this text, it means being at peace with Christ's sufficiency. He is enough. He is enough. Admit that you are not God. Admit that you're not God. One of our steps in Celebrate Recovery, we've got to admit, I'm not God. Amen. 
Our, on our own, we are powerless. We are powerless. I am weak, but he is strong. When his powerful presence is consuming us, we can do all things. Christ has not given us unlimited strength. It's not like we're one of the Avengers or the superheroes where, you know, here, you're given this power, boom, and, and, and now, you know, you can just, now you're someone, you're just something extra special over above everybody else, and, you know, and it just never, no, it, it always comes from him. It, it always comes from him. Um, we don't have this unlimited strength on our own. You might think you can just do it all on your own, that you're going to fall flat on your face someday, brother or sister. We can experience contentment because we are a continual recipient of supernatural strength. Our human determination may help us to endure adversity and pain. Yes, it can. Some people are just stronger-willed than other people. Uh, but our, and our emotional toughness will help us get through job you know, job loss or financial hardships, but only Christ can generate a contented spirit within us amidst all that is happening around us. Amen. I'm going to tell one final story before we um, close out our lesson for today. Um, there was a student from Spring Lake, Michigan. He was a student at Hope College um, in Holland, Michigan. Tall, broad-shouldered, curly hair, big smile, handsome, just as handsome as they come. And in the early 90s, after graduating from college, he took a job at, um, at a wonderful company, and he scurried up the ladder of success just about as quickly as anybody could. And on a November afternoon, he got a call um, or Tim called his good friend, of, of one of his former professors, uh, and said, hey, Tim, how are you doing? A weak, trembling voice said, I am not doing so good. And Professor Brown, well, what's the matter with you? And Tim said, I'm in the hospital in Grand Rapids. I've got the flu or something, and my folks are out of the country. And so Professor Brown um, says, hey, I'll, I'll be there. I'm, I'm on my way. I can be there later on today. I'll stop by and see you. Would that be all right? And he says, yeah, come on. I'd, I'd really like that a lot. I'm, yeah, I, I would really appreciate it. So Professor Brown goes and visits Tim, and the doctors had already been there, and lo and behold, it wasn't the flu. It ends up that it's leukemia. And that began, began a three-year arduous battle that he would lose or win, maybe, and now come to room 5255 in Spectrum Hospital three years later. Professor Brown walks into Tim's room. His mother is sitting in the corner crying, and you can't blame her. Tim is lying on his side. They had positioned the pillows between his skinny little legs, and his hair wasn't curling anymore. And uh, there wasn't enough energy for him to look at the professor. So the professor got down on one knee so that he could look at him eye to eye. And he says, hey, Tim. And Tim says, hi, Professor. And there was a long, awkward pause. And Professor Brown, who's been a pastor for 20-plus years, still didn't really know what to say. Sometimes you just don't know what to say. And Tim broke the silence. He said, I've learned something. And Professor knew 
this much. You don't trifle with the words of a person who is about to die. You just listen carefully. So the professor said, tell me, tell me, partner, what is it? What have you learned? And Tim says, I've learned that life is not like a VCR. The professor didn't get it anymore, and he's kind of scratching his head and says, hmm, okay, he's losing it. He says, I, I, I don't get it. What do you mean by that? Tim says, it's not like a VCR. You can't fast forward through the bad parts. Long pause. The professor's thinking to himself, where does he get this stuff, you know? And Tim interrupts the silence again to say, but I have learned that Jesus Christ is in every frame, and right now, that's enough. That's enough. Contentment has learned the lesson that Jesus is enough. If you know Jesus, you have a God who hears you. The power of love is behind you, pushing you along, helping you along. The Holy Spirit is within you. Amen. And all of heaven is ahead of you. Hallelujah. If you have Jesus, then you have grace for every sin, direction for every turn, a candle for every corner, and an anchor for every storm. You have everything that you need and you can learn to be content. Amen. Why don't we all stand? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Um, let's pray this morning. Ask God to help us to learn to be content like Paul. You know, Paul wrote that scripture while he was in prison. I have learned that whatever state to be in, to be content. And he was in prison. And he wasn't doing very well either. Amen. But he was content. Amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Lord, we bless your name this morning. Hallelujah. We thank you, Lord.